Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Life Church Rewind podcast. I am your co-host, Michael, and I'm here with Pastor David Sangster. Hey, guys, how are you? So the Rewind is a weekly podcast that hopes to be able to help people dig a little bit deeper into the sermons that are preached here at New Life Church. And we want to give our listeners an inside look into some of the background behind each message. So our ultimate hope is to be able to keep you connected to New Life Church during the week, and we hope to help to disciple you in God's Word with each and every episode. So Pastor Dave, yeah, what is the name of this week's sermon that we're rewinding? So you're going to see a theme but uh, as we go through this whole series, but this week's series uh, was A Virtuous Heart. Okay, so we've noticed this pattern that each one of these sermons is like blank word heart. Right. So what we're kind of doing is we're going on a tour mm-hmm. of these different aspects that make up David. Yep. And that's why he's such an interesting person to study. So could you just tell us a little bit about why David makes such a good character study for us? I think David makes a great character study from the point of um, he is mightily used by God, but he's flawed at the same way as you and I are. Mm-hmm. He's got his stuff. He really does. He struggles. Um, but in some very key areas of his life, um, he he shows character or a personality type or uh, a heart. That's how we kind of, kind of are saying it. A heart that is um, actively pursuant of the heart of God. And I think that's how he gets past some of his fails and foibles is that he, he never really is satisfied with uh, just failing. He always wants to move forward and be more and more like God. And I, I think it's something that all Christians, no matter where you are, yeah. um, I, think, I, think we, I think sometimes we put this, this real high pressure on ourselves to be perfect as Christians. And I don't think that that's what God wants. I think he takes us where we're at and he calls us to the next level. Yeah, there's kind of this weird thing that happens in Christian culture because we hold up David to be this, right. this godly so right. figure, so right. but he actually stands right in the face of what we would call like modern holiness culture, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. David is in certain ways, the friend your mom would tell you not to play with, right. but then on the same time, <laughs> we, we hold him up yeah, uh, yeah. To, be, to be this um, this figure that we all that we all um, want to emulate. And I know a couple of sermons ago you talked about, and I think this is important that everyone thought when the Messiah came, they were going to be looking for the new David. Right, right. But, but we had that wrong. We were looking for the new Adam. Mm-hmm. But David is an interesting figure because he is a great leader, mm-hmm. as flawed as he may be. Yep. So I want to start with a scripture here. Now, this isn't from your sermon but it ties into this idea that uh, David is a man after God's heart. He doesn't have God's heart, but he's after God's heart. So this is from the New Testament, Acts 13, 21 through 23. Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, as he promised, 
God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. So if David is a man after God's heart, Mm -hmm. he doesn't have God's heart, but he seeks God's heart. And if God and Christ are the same, does David actually have a heart that is after Christ's or just God's? Is there a difference? Um, well, I think it's, a, it's an important marker for the Messiah. So you see in the Old Testament, you see all these markers that the, uh, that the Israelites are supposed to be looking for in the person who would be the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Jesus... Uh, ticks off all of these check marks, right? Mm-hmm. So in that way, it, it's it's kind of his resume, Jesus's resume of why he could be considered the Messiah. But from David's standpoint, um, he's looking forward. See, we're looking back, right. but he's looking forward to um, his line being established forever in the person of the Messiah. So even though he's the the great 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 grandfather of Christ, he's actually uh, looking to that Messiah figure um, that God is going to send through his lineage. So when he's talking about God, he's after man after God's own heart. I think when we see Jesus come on the scene and we realize that the Messiah is actually more than a man, but is actually the word made flesh, is God in the flesh. Uh, interestingly enough, David is uh, pursuing the heart of his great, great grandchild uh, thousands of years later. And what's interesting is, you could almost do a sermon series like this one you're doing with David, where you say, Jesus Christ has a blank heart. Yeah, yeah. He has a blank heart. And you could use all these different, like I can think of Christ has a heart for justice. Christ mm-hmm. has a heart for grace. And so this is very interesting, but could you give us just a few of the aspects or dimensions of Christ's heart as opposed to David? Yeah, Um as opposed to David? Right, because we we're learning about David's heart, yeah. but what about Christ's heart? Like yeah. if you were gonna kind of do a sermon series like this, what are some aspects of Jesus's heart? And does David they correlate, line up They with do them? correlate quite a bit. I was thinking in the first sermon we did in this series, the submissive heart. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you know, great. Christ was submissive, even to the point of death. He left you know glory and he allowed himself to, um, to be manhandled and abused and they, what, is, what does Jesus say is, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. Willingly. Yeah. So he, he was submissive to God to the point of death. And he's, I always do the will of my father. And then David has that very same heart in many ways. He's just not in, not in the perfection of Christ. It's almost like we see David doing it under the curse of sin. Yeah. So like, he wants to be virtuous, but he is limited in that virtue mm-hmm. because he's not Christ. He's not perfect. He's not without sin. Like you and, and me. me. Right. See, that that's the that's why David is so intriguing to me. Not because he's perfect, but because he is a regular dude who God uses mightily in his imperfection. And that encourages me that um, even in my imperfection, I can be Christ-like. And that can't be Christ, but I can be Christ-like. I can have a heart after God's own heart. Right, that's very nice. And so David, when he's pursuing God's heart, mm-hmm. his life, it's almost like something out of a fairy tale. I know you've said to me before that you almost think that, what is it? Is it the King Midas story is almost yeah. like a uh, like a rehash of David Arthur. and his like King yeah, Arthur. King Arthur. I'm sorry. 
yeah. not the gold guy, the other, yeah. the other guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so there are many aspects of his life that seem like something out of a fairy tale or mm-hmm. a comic book. And we talked about one of them last week, the David and Goliath story. To me, right. that just seems like something that's... It, like Disney couldn't have got any better. Correct. <laughs> right. And so... The, Let's talk about David's mighty men, because in the sermon, you talked about his adventures with these guys. So could you give us a few examples of David and his mighty men and how that ties into how David had a virtuous heart? Yeah. Um, This is where it gets very Arthurian (laughs) because he, you know, uh, King Arthur had the round table, right? He had his, his, his crew, his guys. And, and David had the same thing. I mean, David had a group of guys. And like we talked in the sermon last week, these guys were not the A team. They were the B team. They were your snaggletooth debtors who had nowhere else to go. And, it, and in that respect, it's very much like, uh, like a Robin Hood story, right? So th- there's these, these themes that run through our modern uh, legends that I think very go back to this very first story of David. So let me ask you these mighty men. Mm-hmm. Is it the best David could get? Meaning he was with these snaggletooth guys, as you said, (laughs) or was it they were just attracted to David's leadership? Or was this, you kind of called it the B team, but like, Mm -hmm. was it really the JV or was it um, the the type of people that saw what coming under real leadership looked like? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, I think they were, they were down and out. These people, the, the the passage we used this past week just shows like they were attracted to him because they had been bitten by this this kingship. Remember, uh, Samuel told uh, the people of Israel that if you ask for a king, they're going to raise your taxes, they're going to bring your men into war, your your young boys into war, they're going to do all, the, and you're going to be serving uh, a king. And and these people got they got bit by it because of the. Uh, the taxes and all that, they were in debt up to their eyeballs. So when David kind of does this uh, offshoot army, they flock to him. And I think it's very important to understand that uh, we, we talked about it last week, this kind of training day. Yes. This internship, so to speak, of David. Right. Um, he, the, the verse that we used uh, as, a, as a start verse last week talks about how God called David out of the, the, sheep, the sheep pen and, and brought him in to, to lead Israel. And I think those things are very important. He learned how to shepherd by actually being a shepherd, but he was able to, to uh, fold that knowledge and that understanding into how to lead men well. And he had some really strong relationships with men. We'll talk about that later in in our series, but he was able to um, inspire and uh, get out of these guys who were kind of overlooked by by the regular army or by society. And he was able to form them into a, a massively successful fighting unit. Yeah, so you've kind of crushed my childhood kind of envisioning of these mighty men. I always kind of pictured them like they were like the Navy SEALs or something like this. But I've oh, ever you, seen a Navy SEAL. Sometimes they're a little snaggle too. That's true. But I think you make this case that um, this this kind of um, collection of misfits and people who have been displaced by the monarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost speaks to if David can shepherd sheep, the mm-hmm. next step is to shepherd the wayward group mm-hmm. and then eventually shepherd uh, right. the people Israel. And they did some crazy stuff. I mean, these guys, 
these guys were almost supernatural, almost a fairy tale. So give us a few of these. Um, All right. These, because we skip, we, we yeah. went for the sake of brevity on a sermon, you can't talk about that Sunday school yeah, stuff. So yeah. give us a few examples of things you really liked, things that our, our listeners would want to hear. Well, if you put, if you look at 2 Samuel chapter 23, it really gives you a list of David's mighty men. Okay. And uh, it's for, verse 8 through 39. And there's, there's like, there's like inner circles that kind of, uh, there's a 30. And then there's like the 37 and then there's the, the elite three. And then, so for example, the, the three champions that he had, uh, Joshua uh, Beam, he was the chief of the captain. He killed 800 men at once. I mean, just, he was just, I mean, take pictures of this guy. He must've been such a brute. So this is where I'm getting to that Navy SEAL talk. Yeah, exactly. Like, you, it's almost like, you know, one shot, one kill all the time. Yeah. And then Eleazar stood uh, side by side with David and uh, he fought so long and hard that everybody left and he was the last one there. And he fought side by side with David until his hand literally atrophied onto his sword and they could, they had to like pry his hand off his sword. I mean, they were just, they must have been like standing on mounds of dead bodies. <laughs> In this time without... Uh, Sanitation and showers. These guys yeah. probably just reeked <laughs> of sweat and blood yeah. and guts and yeah, everything exactly. else. Um, and what a shame that Saul couldn't have used these guys in his army. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there was there's the story of the three. Um, David was out in the wilderness as he was fleeing from Saul, right? And he just had this moment where he was just kind of fed up, and he's like, "Oh, if I could have a drink from the well." this particular well that he was envisioning having a cool drink from. Mm. And these three guys, they break through enemy lines by themselves, uh, go into a, a Philistine occupied territory. They draw water from this well and then fight their way back out. And David is just so overwhelmed that these guys would, this is what I'm talking about, this leadership thing. He inspired a loyalty and a love that, is pretty incredible with these guys. And they brought him this glass and he couldn't even drink it. He had, he poured it out as an offering to God because he just was so overwhelmed by it. Okay, so tell us another story from David's mighty men. Well, this is the one that kind of gets kind of crazy in the fact that, and, and very uh, King Arthurian court drama type of scenario. At the very end of the list in, in 1 Samuel chapter 23, it references all these guys that were under David that were part of his elite core of men, his round table, so to speak. And at the very la- very end, it references Uriah the Hittite. Okay. Now, those who know their scripture know there's that something coming up with that. And it's-, yeah, it's This isn't gonna end very well. This is not gonna end well. I mean, this is one of his guys. And then David uh, gets him purposefully killed because he-, he he's attracted to his wife. I mean, this, this is what I'm talking about, David being the, the virtuous man, but he was also very flawed. And amongst men, I would say one of the, one of the lowest qualities you could have is to be like a traitor, right? Like mm-hmm. sometimes loyalty can go too far and it could be a bad thing, but these men who would... I guess our expression today would be like run through a brick wall for David. Yeah. But then at the same time, he did Uriah really dirty. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the reason he did it was just for a, a carnal feeling. Yep. He just he thought she was hot. 
<laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what I mean. I mean, and he just couldn't control himself. And I think everybody has those moments in their life. This is a drastic version of that, but I think everybody has those moments. And it's not about, uh, I mean, we shouldn't have those moments. We should ask the Lord to help us. But when we, when we do find ourselves at the back end of a weakness, it's not about that. It's about how we move on from there. What, what do we do with that failure? And, and, and we'll get into that later on in the series. And what's interesting about that, it just appeared in my mind is that Uriah, when David actually tried to kind of avoid having to kill him, mm-hmm. he wanted to kind of set up another scheme and we're yeah. going to try to be polite here, but he wouldn't actually go home no. to see his wife because his brothers were still out on the battlefield. So he was showing more virtue than David. Than David, yeah. but, but it, w- it was in those kinds of circles that mm-hmm. David ran. Yeah. And despite how he went wrong in that situation, it does speak a lot to what these guys were like. Yeah. These were men's men. Yeah. Very interesting uh, collection of people. Yeah. So it's, it's, I just think those, the mighty men stories, it's pretty cool, very Arthurian. It gets me, uh, it gets my blood up. I love it. So. so let's talk about another one of these mighty men stories that okay. almost sounds fake, but it's not. Mm-hmm. So David's in a cave mm-hmm. with his mighty men mm-hmm. and he sees a guy mm-hmm. using the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> what happens there? Yeah, so- the guys are, and this is, you know, we've t- we touched on it in the sermon, but the concept is that these guys see this opportunity to get rid of Saul as like the hand of God. They really see this as like, this is the end of all of our struggles. This is God providing you with the answer. And we and, can get out of this cave. And we can get out of this cave. We can move into the palace. I mean, these guys saw it and it, it took the discernment of David to be able to say, no, this is not the moment. This is not the moment. And uh, and it's, it's, it's one of those patient things that I'm not good at. You know, if I see a door that's open, I might take it. And I, I really have, have, you know, we have to, as Christians, struggle with the concept of um, just because something's easy doesn't mean it's right. Right. And I think we, we often uh, always see the easy or the convenient as a billboard that God wants us to take it. And I don't necessarily think that's true. So that's an example from the sermon of how David was virtuous. Mm-hmm. Yep. But then here's a story that I don't think we really got into where he was not virtuous. <laughs> so when David meets his wife named Abigail, mm-hmm. there's a situation where he wants to literally send a posse <laughs> to kill a man. Yeah. So that doesn't sound very virtuous. No, how, how does that play out? And it's interesting because it's like the very next chapter. It's right. like the very next chapter. We have this 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 um, story of David being absolutely virtuous to the point of almost ridiculousness, right? Like going above and beyond, mm-hmm. right? And then the next chapter, uh, we have this story of um, of Abigail and what's the, the name is a Nabal. Nabal, yeah, uh, Nabal, yeah. He's uh, David is watching, taking care of this region, right? And he's keeping it safe from the Philistines, and he's watching over. Nabal's shepherds. Okay. And the whole time, he got this huge army, right? He takes nothing from them. He takes nothing from them. So he comes to find out that Nabal is having a festival. It's festival time. And he sends his men to ask Nabal for some, some meat. Right. So one, a, few, a few, just so his men who've been taking care of his people can have a little celebration. And Nabal just like shuts him down. He's like, 
who are you? You're not the king. You can't tell me what to do. And and little does he know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but this this disrespect throws David into a tizzy, man. He can't handle it. And he literally sends uh, a garrison army to Nabal's house. And the, the way he says this is that, um, may God judge me if not every male and under Nabal's roof is not dead by morning. I mean, he goes off. Like, so this is the same guy who wouldn't kill one man who's using the restroom. <laughs> right. And now he's going to kill a whole household of men because- he was slighted. Like it's almost like he's disappointed that Nabal doesn't show David the same respect that David showed Saul. Yes. It's a very interesting thing. That yeah. It's a it's a demand of respect, but it's also Yeah. I guess how would you say it that it respect works both ways and and now Abigail is Nabal's wife. And she knows this guy to be a total jerk. I mean, she's married to him, but she knows he's not wise. He's not a good man. So she, uh, on the sly, gets all the supplies that David asked for, plus some. And he, she takes it and meets him on the road, meets his men on the road. And she's, she, she apologizes. She apologizes for Nabal. She actually calls her husband a fool and she knows it. Right. <laughs> so David, um, David makes this interesting statement. He says, um, I thank the Lord for you for keeping me from doing this wicked thing. And it's interesting because um, when uh, Abigail goes back and tells Nabal what's going to happen, the guy has like a panic attack and he's dead in like a month. So David calls for Abigail and he takes him as her, his, her as his wife. Um, but here's the thing. Even a virtuous person is going to need the Holy Spirit to help him from time to time. We're not perfect. Right. And David recognizes this. He's like, God is helping me to maintain my testimony by sending you to me. He's like, I was going to do this wicked thing and God helped me out by sending you. And uh, he sees such a, a value and such a, a virtue in Abigail that he wants to take, uh, wants her as his wife. And it's, it's pretty interesting. And one more time, what did David say to Abigail uh, that you saved me from doing this wicked thing? Yeah. And I think, isn't that pretty much every man's marriage? It should be. I mean, yeah, if, if it's a good marriage, it should be a yin and yang scenario where we, we make up for each other's weaknesses. That God sends a woman to us mm -hmm. to correct our flesh from what guys always want to do, yep. whether it be... Um, you know, greed or self-destruction. Guys have this tendency aggression. to compete yeah. aggression. And so that's a beautiful story that we see that David had enough respect for how that was going to play out. Mm -hmm. Even though we see how incensed he was at Nabal, I wouldn't uh, want to mess with David and his mighty men. No, it would have been a, a route. It would have been a slaughter. And David knows that because of Abigail's uh, humility, and respect, honor for David, uh, he, he has less blood on his hands now. So. so moving on a little bit, you said in the sermon, and I think this is a direct quote, am I just supposed to let people walk all over me and use and abuse me? Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. So can you give us a more practical application of that statement? 
Like, how does that play out in people's everyday lives? Not just kind of digesting it in a sermon and saying, how does this affect my spiritual life? But mm-hmm. in the day to day. Yeah. Um, that statement comes from the concept around the, 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 the message that um, virtue is this um, doing the hard thing, you know, not just taking the easy road. Uh, when somebody does something to you, uh, not um, acting in kind, you know, self-control, that's part of virtue. And Jesus talks about this in the New Testament, right? So, I mean, I think one of the, you know, one of the best ways to to look at that from a practical standpoint is um, let's say you're in a job and your boss is that guy. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. That guy. That guy. uh, Who who takes credit for your work, who um, runs you down, who is not reasonable about hours. Just, just that, that guy, you know, um, you don't have to stay in that job. You don't have to overexpose yourself to that boss, but, um, what we can't do is retaliate in kind. It's not right. God doesn't want us to do that. Um, and I think when we start talking about these things, it goes to like the extreme situations of like, uh, maybe abuse, or, or uh, uh, maybe aggressive husband or you know something like that. Listen, um, if you're being abused, you don't have to stay in that situation. I would say if, you, if, if anybody's listening here and you're going through a scenario where you are being physically or emotionally, uh, psychologically abused, um, this message is not to tell you to stay in that scenario and continue to be abused. That's not what I'm trying to say. That's not virtue. That's uh, that's allowing yourself to be victimized, and that goes back to the the scripture you used that Romans twelve seventeen through nineteen. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Mm-hmm. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes, mm-hmm. if possible. If possible, yep. as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Mm-hmm. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, "Vengeance belongs to me. I will." Repay, says the Lord. Do, do we believe that statement is the question? Uh, if if we actually believe that God is real, God is a, a, a keeper of his promises, um, like David did. He said, I'm not gonna take this in my own hand, but I know that I've been anointed. I know that this is coming down the road. Coming down the road. Um, so I'm gonna leave room for God. If we actually believe God has got our back, then we don't have to take our vengeance into our own hands. Um, that doesn't mean we need to continue to, uh, to, to keep ourselves in a, an abusive situation. Um, but acting out in kind is not, not what, what God wants us to do. So if somebody abuses me or, or treats me wrong, I'm gonna do the same thing back to them. No, it, the, the scripture says, treat other people as you would like to be treated, not, not treat people the way they're treating you. And in this study of David, we see that, it seems more often than not, that when when David is after God's heart, mm-hmm. he leaves room for that justice. Right. When he's after his own heart, right. he gets incensed. He becomes this, almost this maniac guy. Yep. And so we actually see that play out in David's life A in, lot. in real terms. Multiple occasions. Yeah, absolutely. And vengeance belongs to the Lord and not to David. And that's something that he learns over the course of his life. And I think that we're going to learn over the course of this study a little bit more of that. Um, and I need to learn it today. We, amen, mm. amen. So are there any parting thoughts that you wanna leave us with on this week's 
sermon, Pastor Dave. Um, when you are feeling like you're the snaggletooth guy who can't, God can't use, get ready. God's going to call you to something big. Um, it's important to allow, uh, to get ourselves in a group of people where we can grow our abilities and uh, find find somebody, a mentor like David was, he who shepherded his men. Find somebody who can um, pour into you and, and bring the best out of you um, and don't allow yourself to um, just waste away. And let people, you know, let people call, call out of you what God has already put into you. That's a good word. So remember guys, find some mighty men and- um, And women. And women, this applies, <laughs> but people, people of the yeah, church. Absolutely. Find people who can pour into you and you can pour into them mm, and just let, let room be there for God. Amen. Okay, everyone, that wraps up this week's show. I am so glad that you have chosen to spend a little bit of time with us this week. And it is my prayer that this podcast would help build you up on your walk with God. Please follow, like, and subscribe the Rewind podcast on your platform of choice. And if you enjoyed your time with us, please consider giving us a five-star review and share it with all your friends. Have a great week, everybody. God bless. I'll see you next time. Matthew 28.